Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. What was Congress's intent? If we if we listen to everything IRS said, and we want to listen to them, but if we listen to everything they made their interpretation on, every one of our clients would be paying taxes on PPP loan because that's what their interpretation was. And that all changed. We don't pay taxes on PPP loans. Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. There are loads of questions out there about ERC. And with all the guidance on top of PPP and all the rest, it can be hard to know everything and stay up to date. My guest today is Randy Crabtree, co-founder and owner of Trimerit, which is a specialty tax firm supporting CPAs and their clients. Randy and I were talking recently, and the topic came up that due to the complexity and shifting nature of the guidance, it's easy to miss out on ERC for your clients. Randy has been studying ERC day in and day out, delivering trainings and webinars on the topic, and is going to highlight what he sees as the most common areas of misconception and opportunity that aren't getting captured. I also solicited questions from the Slack channel I host for my clients and from my daily email list and a few other locations. So we will do a lightning round of questions from the audience after we dig in. Randy, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Geraldine, thank you much. I'm thrilled to be here, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. <laughs> You're going to have fun. I'm sweating already. <laughs> for any listeners who are new to this podcast, please know that I am not a CPA. I would rather go through a six-pack of Brussels sprout popsicles than talk about tax, but I'm taking one for the team. So for our listeners, why don't you give us a lay of the land about what you, ha what you see happening with ERC at a high level before we get into the details? Yeah, so ERC, which is the Employee Retention Credit, and, and you said I've been digging into it. That's probably an understatement. I think I'm <laughs> obsessed. I think people might say I'm addicted right now. I'm not sure. We're going to have to, we'll have to see how that goes. But ERC is such an interesting area because it was... The, the high level is it was defined back in the CARES Act, which came out in March of 2000. And it was, in, you know, obviously a response to all the COVID uh, aspects of businesses closing and shutdowns and all that. It was defined in there. But in the CARES Act, it said, if you took a PPP loan, you could not also take advantage of the employee retention credit. And so we all ignored it because everybody took a PPP loan. So, so what happened at the end of the year, at the end of December of 2020, uh, the, and, you know, not to you know, spot out tax codes, but the consolidated, I guess I am going to spot them out. The Consolidated Appropriations Act came out and that changed everything. 
it opened up the ERC to anybody that took a PPP could now potentially qualify for both uh, ERC and PPP. So that's that's why the obsession came with me. It was just, boy, there's this huge opportunity for companies that need it. And so that that's the biggest thing. Most people have probably heard about that now, but some still haven't. And that's the biggest area of why it's such become such an important thing. Okay. Would you say it's um, there's tons of opportunity? Give us a dollar range on tons of opportunity because that's a kind of relative term. So tons is not specific enough for you. Um, all right. <laughs> Unless they're metric tons, then okay. <laughs> uh, we will go. Yeah, we have to weigh the dollars by the. All right, no. <laughs> Um, no, so so the, the tons, uh, what I mean by that is that what happened, the CAA not only extended it backwards, you know, so it was originally just a 2020 credit, it extended it forward to June of 21. And then the ARP, the American Rescue Plan, which came out last month, extended this all the way to the end of 21. So we have an opportunity to look at a client, a taxpayer that qualifies all the way back to March 13th of 2020, all the way through the end of 21 now. And the value of this credit can be up to $33,000 per employee. And so, so you have a 10-person firm or a 10-person business that has been impacted and does qualify the entire period. That's a $330,000 potential benefit. And this is not you know, when you hear tax credits in general, and you know, you, you people think, okay, I'm going to use that to offset my taxes. That's not what this is. We do the rules do show you offset a portion of your payroll taxes with it, but the bottom line is the mechanics don't matter. If I have a a three hundred thirty thousand dollar credit, the government is sending me three hundred thirty thousand dollars, so it is cash when it's done, and that's the other area that makes this exciting. Holy cow. Who wouldn't be excited about $330,000 if you have a 10 person, 10 people on your staff. So let's get into the common, the additional common misconceptions or places that need some straightening out um, for folks. The first place you mentioned was the 280C adjustment. What's up with that? Yeah. So I, I get, I get questions on, there's like three or four things for sure. 280C. So 280C is you know, a part of the code section, uh, IRS code. And 280C says that I cannot, and it's not directly ERC is talking about it's, it's a lot of credits in general, but I cannot take a deduction against my expenses. I can't increase my expenses by the amount of a credit. So let's assume I had $100,000 wages that in 2020 created a $50,000 credit, I have to reduce my expenses by $50,000, which, which is fine. You know, $50,000 uh, uh, expense at a 21% bracket saving me $10,000. Well, in exchange for that $10,000 of additional tax, I'm going to get $50,000 credit, which I'm netting out, you know, nearly $40,000 better off. So the, the, the confusion is, when do I have to make that adjustment to my 280C? When do I have to make that expense adjustment? We are getting technical here, aren't we? Um, yeah. The, the, uh, the legislation, if you read the legislation, it's going to talk about making this adjustment, but it gives you no guidance on the year you make this adjustment, the period you make this adjustment. If you look for the IRS regulations, and I've never quoted so many regulations in my life as I have when it comes to ERC and code sections and, and, and everything else and, and other guidance out there. But when you, when you look at the regulations, the regulations look like they're saying that you can, you can 
imply the fact that they're saying you have to take the adjustment in the year the wages were based on for the credit. So that sounds like in 2020, if I'm using 2020 wages, even if I filed my 2020 tax return right now, and I'm now calculating a 2020 ERC, people will look at that and say, I got to go amend my 2020 tax return and make this adjustment. Very well, maybe what you have to do, but there's a, there's a directive out there that the IRS has put out with another wage-based credit, WATSI, which is the Work Opportunity Tax Credit. This directive came out in 2019. And I'll paraphrase, for the most part, this directive is saying, if you're auditing, the directive is out to auditors of the IRS. If you're auditing a taxpayer and they have a WATSI credit and they're claiming the credit and the 280C adjustment, in a year other than the year the wages were used for the credit, don't worry about it, accept it as an accurate filing and don't spend extra resources and time you know, questioning this. So uh, IRS directive is not authoritative, but it gives us an idea that IRS is saying, okay, we don't want the extra burden on our auditors. We don't want to question this. We're going to accept it. Now, can I equate that to the ERC. I think it's a very similar situation. Uh, uh, most taxpayers didn't even know they qualified this for this until 2021. And so they did not make an adjustment on their 2020 tax return. We may get more guidance on this, but as of now, I think at least we can uh, point to that directive and say, yes, we, we are going to make the adjustment on our 21 return rather than our 20 return. Until there's for further guidance, uh, we'll look at it both ways, but I, at least I, we have something to hang our hat on if we make that 21 decision. Got it. And as of now for our listeners is effectively the same as when you're listening. This is you know basically the week of episode airing. So is there one that logically flows next? If not, we can go to employees and owners and spouses. So the second most common question I get or maybe call it a misconception. It's not a misconception. It's it's an area where we're working, we're looking for guidance. Is the legislation, if you read the legislation in the CARES Act, um, and you have to read the legislation in the CARES Act, in the CAA, in the ARP, you have to look at the IRS Notice 2120 and 21-23 and the IRS FAQs. There's a lot of things out there that we look at. But in all of those areas, it mentions the employees that can be included in the calculation of the ERC. It never mentions including or excluding owners and spouses. Now, the biggest question we get is, are owners and spouses qualified? Well, if you read the legislation, the legislation uh, points to Code Section 51, and then Code Section 51 is to define the employees that can be included in the ERC. It also point you to code section 152, which in 152, it talks about the employees that can't be used in the calculation of the credit, which is basically every relative of the owner, but not the owner and the spouse. It doesn't mention them at all. So if you, if you look at the legislation as written, owners and spouses can be used in the calculation of the credit. People will look a little further and say, well, there's constructive ownership rules. If I go to code section 267, if I'm 100% owner of this business and I hire my brother under code section 267, now my brother's considered constructive owner of this business. And if he's considered 100% owner, now that eliminates me because now I'm related to him. Well, 
the opposite's also true then. If I don't hire any relatives, I am included. So I don't think they intended to look at 267 and try to get this constructive ownership because it's just so random on who would get to be used as a owner and spouse in the calculation, who wouldn't. So as of now, we are educating our clients on a case-by-case basis that this is what the code said. You read the legislation, this is what it says. You read the code section it refers to, it doesn't eliminate owner and spouse. Could you go a step further? Well, here's what it says. We are not taking that stance right now, but we'll allow the taxpayer to make that decision. So that is an area where we need more guidance as well. Are we gonna get it? Who knows? Okay, so you're not taking a clear stand. You're allowing the owner to make the decision. I'm on the side owner and spouse qualify. If they want to not include themselves because of what I tell them, you know, I'm going to educate them on both arguments. If they make the decision that they're not going to include owner and spouse, I will take it out. But I am, I am saying I am comfortable putting you in this calculation. Okay. Are there any reasons why they'd want to leave themselves out? So IRS is interpreting legislation the same way we're interpreting. They they read the legislation that Congress put out. We read it. We interpret it based on current tax law. And, and so IRS may came out, come out later and say, well, you know, we're not going to allow owners and spouses in the calculation of their credit. Oh, actually, we didn't mean to be ambiguous. We meant to, for it to not. Right. But but this is this is the IRS saying this. That's not... That's not the bottom line. What did Congress say? What was Congress's intent? If we if we listen to everything IRS said, and we want to listen to them, but if we listen to everything they made their interpretation on, every one of our clients would be paying taxes on PPP loan because that's what their interpretation was. And that all changed. We don't pay taxes on PPP loans. And so just because IRS is going to say it doesn't mean it is backed up by current tax code regulations, legislation. So they're interpreting, we're interpreting at some point in time, you know, either Congress will make a clarification or, you know, 10 years down the road, there'll be court cases where it'll be decided by legit, by, by uh, uh, lawyers. And so that's the problem right now. So as long as we have a stance and we have a reason to take it, I can point to this code section, I'm comfortable, then take it. And then if everybody interprets it different later, well, then we argue. Okay, great. So you talked a little bit at the top about PPP and ERC being able to play nicely together. So can you expand on that one? And this is not my analogy, but I, I, for the first time, used it in one of my webinars today, which it seems like I'm doing webinars daily right now. They play in the sandbox together. They just don't play with the same sand. You can use the same employees for forgiveness that you use for an ERC credit. You just can't use the same wages within that employee. So I can break employees' wages into periods and use a certain period for forgiveness, a certain period for, for ERC calculation. Um, if I have a PPP loan in 2020 and I'm a qualified business, which we didn't even define that. Maybe yeah, we should in a second just to, to, to expand on that. All right. So if I am a qualified business, I had a PPP loan. I have a period before I got that PPP loan that I might qualify for ERC. I can use those wages for the ERC calculation. I can use the 24-week period ended for forgiveness. I still have wages before the end of the year. I can use those wages for ERC calculation. And then there's going to be a big pool of money in that 24-week forgiveness period that are going to be in excess 
of the forgiveness most likely and i can use that excess wages so so they play together i just can't double dip with the same wages on an employee for the for calculation of both let's go over to who qualifies because there's you know the obvious ones restaurant bar gym theaters but it sounds like there are lots more businesses and types of industries that qualify so can you walk us through some of the more obvious choices? So so you the obvious were there, the restaurant, the bars, the gym, the theaters, any place where your restriction of gathering was limited by the government. But there's actually two ways to qualify. I can qualify based on those restrictions. Government made a mandate that says I can't have indoor dining. I'm an affected business now. I can qualify. I'm a doctor's office who, you know, I can't do elective surgeries for a certain amount of time. I've been affected, even though I can see patients still. Um, maybe I'm a, 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 a law office where I cannot have my uh, um, clients come in and visit with me because of social distancing restrictions. Now I've potentially been affected. So from the shutdown aspect, just about anybody has the opportunity to be affected. You have to dig deeper to see if there really was an effect. But that's the that's the harder way to qualify. The, the more straightforward way to qualify is based on a drop in revenue. So if I show that I had a significant drop in revenue, I'm a qualified business. And that definition changes year to year. In 2020, it was a 50% drop in revenue over the same quarter in 2019. If I meet that requirement, then I qualify for the quarter where I had that drop in revenue and I automatically qualify for the subsequent quarter and I continue to qualify until my revenue, until the quarter after my revenue exceeds 80% of 2019's quarterly revenue. So, so with a revenue standpoint, anybody can qualify if they meet the revenue. If it's the, and then in 2020, that changes to a 20, I mean, sorry, in 2021, that changes to a 20% drop in revenue over 19 again. So, so the math is the easier part to document. If we don't meet the math, then we determine if we were affected directly or indirectly by a government suspension, so a government order. It can't be a government suge suggestion. It has to be the government saying you can't gather, you can't travel, you can't meet in this facility uh, unless you're six feet apart. And now that's restricted the amount of people we can have meet in this facility. And so that's the one where you got to dig a little deeper. But again, that can affect, uh, you know, any business out there. And it doesn't even have to be that direct business. If I'm a manufacturer, and I wasn't shut down, but my suppliers were shut down a 1000 miles across the country, and now I can't get materials I need to keep manufacturing my products. I wasn't directly affected, but now I've been indirectly affected. So I've been affected by a government suspension. So it's, it's, I don't, I don't, I would never, as a tax advisor, I would never tell everybody they qualify because they don't, but I wouldn't eliminate anybody until you have a discussion with them. Because if you, as the tax advisor, don't bring this to them, someone else is going to, and really you want to be the one to bring it to them. So it's, it's not everybody's going to qualify, but many more are going to qualify than you really think on the surface. Okay. So let's, for the benefit of specificity, you mentioned dentist physician's office. You could make a case that they were affected. You mentioned legal you could make a case because they can't meet in person, which I think includes creative and like ad agency kind of stuff. And I'm thinking on behalf of my clients here in the niches that they're in. So I'm curious about construction and real estate. 
and tech companies and farming. Farming, I haven't had a farming client. We've had a client in just about every industry so far, but farming, I haven't. I, I'm not sure unless it's an indirect effect by them not being able to get uh, their product. And I know like, you know, uh, meat processing plants were, were shut down. That was a big thing that happened last year. But, you know, so were they not able then to get their, you know, cattle to a facility because this facility was shut down and now that hurt their business. Maybe there is an indirect effect with farming uh, or their or their, their whatever their product is, whoever they sell it to to process it or whoever you know is using it in the long run has been shut down. Well, that could be an effect for them. So I could see it happening. I just haven't personally seen it yet ad agencies. So the, the, the laws basically say, if I've been restricted in my commerce, you know, okay, doing your business. But also, my ability to travel, well, there's restrictions on travel. If I'm in Illinois and I want to go to Indiana to meet with somebody, did I have to quarantine for two weeks before I could meet with them? Well, that's going to restrict my travel. It's just not going to happen. And if that order was in place, um, then that's going to affect my travel. So whatever your business is, if that was an aspect or your ability to have group meetings was another aspect that they said. And so group meetings, all of these, I've talked to so many clients who say, we don't, we can't do our business unless we're in front of the client and we'd have no ability to get in, their front, in front of the client because we couldn't have group meetings and we couldn't travel. So those, all those businesses, I would assume could be affected that way. Yep, for sure. Real estate seems like an easy check. Construction seems like an easy check because you've got to have your crew you know, together. Right. Tech companies though, Although there's the whole shift to the virtual. Tech's going to be tough. if So So the IRS and some guidance they gave us in uh, IRS notice 2120 or no, 2123, one of the two notices came out and said, look at these four factors and see if these factors affect you. Did you have the ability to work remotely or what telework, I think is how they called it. But if you did, so, it, you know, let's say a tech company, you know, probably was a lot of those already working remotely somewhat. If you could flip a switch, you could work remotely, nothing changed. Well, you weren't affected. You were affected by a government order that says a stay at home order. You were affected by it. You had to abide by it, but it didn't affect your business. Nothing changed. You continue to work as is. So you'd have to dig deeper into that. Was your work portable? If so, if you could just take everything with you, you weren't affected. Um, were you able to do your work over you know, a Zoom like we are right now? Um, like an example they gave there is, okay, we have a um, physical therapist. They can do stuff remotely. They can help clients remotely, but they couldn't do everything remotely. So because they could do some, does that eliminate them? No. The fact that they couldn't do some brought them into that partial suspension. And so now they were suspended as well. And even if you could work remotely, was there a transition period? Did it take you a month to get up to speed to work remotely? If so, you have a month period now where you qualify. And if you have 50 people that made $10,000 each in that month, you've got a $250,000 credit sitting there just for that month. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's worth looking at all these things within every situation. And most companies had some kind of stay at home order for a while. Well, did that affect them? Did they those four areas uh, uh, cause them to have a transition period, a shutdown, not be able to do all the work? If so, even that you know six week period where there was a stay at home order could qualify them for the credit. Let's do nine forty ones and head into the lightning round questions right from the audience regarding twenty twenty tax returns. All right, dear listener, it's a long question. 
Where will we be claiming ERTC and reducing wage expenses by the applicable credit? Can we feel confident in using the computer figure if we had to do amended 941X forms for the 2020 applicable quarters? For example, my client had a first draw PPP in May 2020, and though he wasn't eligible to claim ERC for all or ERTC, is it the same? Either way, people say both employee retention tax credit or employee retention credit. Either one. Cool. I just learned something. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> just kidding. There you go. That's that's free. I'm not even <laughs> charging for that. So he wasn't eligible to claim ERC for all of 2020 until guidance changed. So we're working on an amended 2020 form 941X for Q2, three, and four for 2020, while concurrently working on the 1120 extended. Can I be confident in reducing 2020 wage expense on the 1120 after submitting the 941X forms, or should I wait for the IRS to process these forms? So that that goes to the timing of the 280C election that I mentioned before. Now, that CPA, that tax preparer is in a position where they could make the 20 adjustment if they wanted to. Probably the safer of the guidance to follow, but I think we could do that that change. And, and and what they're asking, do you reduce wages? Yeah, you could definitely reduce wages on the tax return, or you could just do a contra expense account under other expenses and just say, I have an, a, you know, a, let's assume $50,000 add back to expenses based on my ERC. So yes, they can, they can do that and they can do it other way. It's just a straight reduction of expenses. Has anyone read anything about old slash not new companies being able to compare gross receipts of Q1 2021 to Q1 2020 instead of Q1 2019 for ERC? I only see it as an option for those not in business in 2019. To answer their question, they are interpreting that correctly. You do you if you've been in existence and you're looking at Q1, you have to compare Q1 of 21 to Q1 of 19. But there is an alternative method that I can qualify for Q1 and 21 by looking at fourth quarter of 20 and comparing that to fourth quarter of 19. So for, for, the, for 21, we have that alternative method, but I can never look at first quarter of 21 to first quarter of 20 for a company that was in existence in 19. Okay. Has anyone started looking at ERC refunds for 2020? I have a question on whether the pay date or pay period counts for being in a government shutdown period. My clients have a six-week window, unfortunately splitting Q1 and Q2, where they qualify based on restriction on work allowed. The beginning of the period and the end of the period falls on pay dates for most of my clients. Wondering if both pay dates count toward ERC. For most of my clients, they receive PPP loans once offices reopened. Yeah, so so that's a question that that is not addressed completely, but being that this is based on payroll tax filings, if I had a March 31st end payroll end date, but I didn't pay that till April 3rd, even though the wages were earned in the second in the in the first quarter, right now we're doing that based on the pay date. And so those wages are actually going into the second quarter uh, payroll tax calculation. So I think that's what they're asking. And, and that's what we're doing, unless there's further guidance that says based on the day they worked rather than the based on the quarterly wages. And so we're going based on when the quarterly wages are. The real question on ERC, do you extend business and personal returns until you figure out their ERC for 2020 or amend later? That's where we're at. We have a few clients that can avail of this, but 
The whole issue now is unless, I don't understand it. The whole issue now, unless we extend or amend later and we just don't have time to invest in ERC now. Yeah, I understand. I think they're talking the 280C as, as well. I, I told you that's the number one question out there. The, the timing of that. So do we extend this tax return so we can determine the credit and then we can make the adjustment on the 2020 tax return? I think that's the safest way. But again, if you look at that Watsi directive that came out in 2019, at least you have something to hang your hat on that says, I can't, I think, I feel I can make that adjustment in 2021. So that's, that's a, uh, that, I know it sounds a little wishy-washy, but we don't have a ton of guidance and that's something I can rely on, I think. Okay, cool. I have a few restaurant clients that received significant ERC money. Today, one of them said that he heard from another restaurant owner that his accountant is getting him a tax credit for the ERC that can be spread out over time, in his words. I researched it and I found nothing about credits slash ERC and spreading over time. Has anyone heard about anything like this? No, I, I'm not sure what that is. I, I'm assuming that what they're saying is, you know, applying that credit to different quarters. No, it's a refund. You wouldn't want to do that anyways. It's refundable credit. So when you generate the credit, you ask for a refund on that 941 filing. The other thing is maybe they're just saying uh, that they recently heard that the credit was extended for the entire year, which was pretty recent. And so that could be what they're asking as well, but not just extending the credit out, you know, based on how I want to apply it. No. Let's see if our listeners are listening. S-Corp owner wages qualify for ERC, correct? <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> so I am saying yes. Um, based on code section 51 and code section 152, I do, and the legislation, I don't see any reason they're not. IRS could, again, I'm getting wishy-washy, IRS could come out and give us different guidance later, but right now, yes, I say they are. Okay. I have a few companies. We have a couple more here. I have a few companies that chose to go the ERC route and so far received two large refunds. I know we are hoping for the PPP to be non-taxable, but I've not seen if the ERC will follow that route. Can anyone shed some light? Okay. So PPP first off is not taxable. So that part we already know. Um, so, so your hope has been answered. Um, and then ERC, that is not going to, the, the ERC is got, not going to be non-taxable. That's that whole, again, back to the 280C adjustment. The value of the credit reduces your expenses, and therefore the value of the credit turns into a tax, um, but it, the, 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 the credit more than offsets that uh, additional tax. Well more. So this is our last question, and then we can wrap up with um, how people can find out more about you and where they can learn more if they want to. So in regards to ERC, client was shut down for a few weeks during second quarter at the beginning of the pandemic. Based on that, they, they would qualify for ERC prior to the PPP funding. After PPP funding is used up, can you continue to take ERC after the shutdown until the quarter following the quarter? <laughs> How do you people understand this? <laughs> it is. Uh, I know every time I say it, I stumble over it. So, Oh my God. After the shutdown until the quarter following the quarter in which revenues exceed 80% of the prior year. Can anyone provide documentation to support this? I understand that I understand the 50% revenue decline to qualify in each quarter after until you reach 80% and then the quarter after 80%, you are no longer eligible. But I can't find anything in relation to the 80% requirement after partial or full shutdown. 
All right, I understand the question. And, and, the, and the answer is when you're qualifying based on a shutdown period, not revenue, just a shutdown period, you qualify for that period. There's no additional quarter qualifying. There's no additional time qualifying. It's just that period. The thing to be aware of though, is that period may not just end. It may just evolve. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, like a restaurant's a good example. No indoor seating, like outdoor, I got delivery, I got pickup. Okay, great. I'm affected. Okay. Now, I can have 20% capacity inside. So the shutdown's gone completely, but it's still restricted. I'm still I'm still covered by it. Now it's 50% indoor. I'm still covered by it. Now it's 100% indoor, but my tables have to be six feet apart, which now reduces my capacity by 40%. I'm still covered by that sh shutdown. So the, the period of the shutdown is what we look when it's based on shutdown. If it's a quarter revenue, then it's the rules that they were talking about the subsequent quarter until you exceed 80% after blah, blah, blah. So they've, they've, they've got the right. You just can't mix the two. You just can't mix the two. Okay, great. Randy, this has been so awesome. If people want to find out more either about you or about your webinars and trainings, tell people um, where they can go. So best place is our website, which is try-merit.com. -E On there, we have an ERC website, uh, which actually uh, you can fill out information on there if you want to see if you qualify or if a client qualifies. And also on there, there's a link to uh, my webinars that uh, we just had one today. The next one will be probably within a few weeks. So that one hasn't been announced yet. Um, but that's the best spot. You can look me up on LinkedIn to Randy Crabtree and look forward to talking to anybody that has more questions. How are you helping business owners and CPAs right now? Because they can avail themselves of your services, right? Yeah, so this is what we do. So when, when we started Trimerit 14 years ago, my I came out of public accounting. I'm a CPA. I had a business, uh, um, and and I had I was managing partner of a firm. And so I didn't ever want to be going to a client direct to try to sell specialty tax services. That's the CPA's job. We're there to support them. So we've continued that philosophy though forever. That you know we talk with CPAs, tax preparers, and we offer them our services. Our whole responsibility is not to be the hero in this. They're the one bringing this to the clients. They're the one that's saving the client, uh, you know, uh, again, 10 person firm, they're gonna potentially save them 330,000. That's them doing it, but we're gonna do the work. This is a specialized area of the tax code. As tax preparers, we know tax code. We know something exists. There's no way we can ever be an expert in every part of the tax code. I can talk about the ERC all day. You start asking me a part about partnership tax uh, requirements. I can't tell you what those are. And that's why it's good to have somebody that specializes in area, especially an area that's as intricate as this. Um, I may go on a, a rant here for a minute or two, if you don't mind. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, go ahead. We've got time. Okay, so I'll finish this and then let me say what importance of that is. So, so what we do, as we support the tax preparer, we do the work, we give them the information to get the amended returns done, to get the tax, the money coming back in. What we do, because the CPA is the one referring to us, I keep saying CPA, I mean tax preparer, I mean EA, whoever's doing the tax work. Um, 
we have a fee share. So we share our fees with them because they're involved with this entire process. So not only are they helping their clients, but they're helping generate revenue for them too at a time when they are extremely busy. I mean, this is a this has been a never ending tax season for them and it's still got 13 more months to go before it ends. So so that's why we're out here. And the rant I wanted to do is the the, the specialized area. I just finished a webinar today where I showed this whole interplay between PPP, ERC, and in this case, I picked in the R&D tax credit because the ERC plays, again, into that sandbox with a bunch of other credits, just not the same sand. So in this situation, there's about 10 credits that we have to be aware of and make sure that we're not double dipping on wages. Uh, I, get a, I get this all the time where somebody will tell me, well, I'm just going to use the first eight to 10 weeks of payroll to get forgiveness for my PPP. And then what's that lever left over, we'll use for the ERC. Or I'm going to use this first you know, quarter payroll for ERC, and then the leftover I'll use for forgiveness for my PPP. We did an example today to show the pros and cons of that in a small 10-person firm by not analyzing how these work together, cost the client $33,000 in potential credit. So they, they ended up having between forgiveness, between ERC and between R&D tax credit, they ended up having about a $336,000 benefit uh, without optimizing them working together. After we did the optimization and made sure we allocated the wages out proportionally to the best use, that went up to about $370,000. So there was a, over $36,000 additional benefit just by making sure you use the correct wages for the correct benefit at the correct time. And that's what I've seen missing a lot as well. And uh, it's just an area where that's, that's easily missed, but lots of work to do that. And our credit models have been built out to make sure we maximize those. There's my rant. Thanks for letting uh, me rant. And uh, I love it. I, I love rants that save money. <laughs> They're welcome anytime. So, and since uh, since you brought it up, I remembered that a number of people were asking about how to price this work, and I have seen some people kind of billing after the fact, which listeners to my podcast know makes me batty, and I think should be illegal. But anyways, what's your take on uh, how to price it? What are you suggesting? Um, so what we do is 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 pretty much we say a not to exceed a percentage. Most of our clients, if they're small, uh, we're going to be charging 15% of their benefit. If they get over 25, 30 employees, that starts coming down. What we also do for large ones is we'll set a fixed fee, you know, because we can get some of these that are multi-million dollar credits per quarter. And so if I tell them it's a 15% fee per quarter on this multimillion, that's a $300,000 plus fee. And, and we're not going to have that much time involved in it. So, so what we're saying is, and I don't know if time's a bad word for me to say. On this <laughs> I was podcast. just going to do a record scratch sound. I, I knew, I know. <laughs> I, I figured that as soon as I said time, we do value base our billing for sure. Um, and so, and I don't know if that's good or bad uh, in, in your advice as well, but uh, you'll teach me after the fact uh, uh, what I should be doing. But the, here's what we do. In this case, what we're going to say to a client is, uh, you know, here's a, you, we are expecting a $2 million credit. We're going we're gonna to tell you, you have a $90,000 fee per quarter, but we're also going to cap that at 10%. So if this credit is not 2 million and it comes down to 300,000, well, then our fees are 30,000. So it's protecting the client um, and it still then reduces uh, um, our involvement. And we just want that money to go back into these businesses and we wanna make a fair fee and we're making a fair fee. So 
that's how we've been pricing it. Um, a lot of people will just say a straight percentage. If there's no credit, there's no fee. Same with us. If there's no credit, there's no fee. Um, but we want a safety net out there for them as well. So they know that if there's a hundred thousand dollar credit, our fee is not a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So great value for them, reasonable and fair compensation for you. Yes. Okay. I can get on board with that. Anything else before we wrap up? I probably took way more time than you wanted me to take. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, you get me start talking ERC, I won't stop. So we should probably not let me start anymore right now. So no, I, <laughs> I just want to thank you for the opportunity and thank, uh, thank you for your audience for listening. Randy, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate that you are willing to give this audience the time to help them understand the finer points of this. So thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. You got it anytime. All right, listener, I hope that clears a few things up for you and helps you find valuable credits for your clients. For you new listeners, while I don't touch tax, I do help CPAs with their business model, which typically includes focusing on a niche or specialty, designing services that are tailored exactly to the outcomes your best clients want, pricing those service options in a way that both you and your client shake hands and say, thank you. This is a great deal. Let's keep this going. And then doing a complete remodel on your client roster so that you're only working with your ideal buyers who you get great results for and who you truly enjoy working with. When we do those things, your business gets so much simpler. Your headaches and client fires go away. You get a bunch of your time back and you make more money while your margins go up. If that's something you want to know more about, the best thing to do is check out my website, shethinksbigcoaching.com and get in touch if you want to know more. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.